podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of The Crown on the application of Kyrie and Bindloss, and the Secretary of State for the Home Department. And the citation for this case is 2017 UKSC 42. This is yet another immigration case where the Supreme Court has had to step in to put a halt to the government's draconian immigration policy on human rights grounds. Both of the appellants in this case were convicted of serious drug crimes and became subject to deportation orders made by the Secretary of State. This is not especially unusual in itself, but although Kayari did have a Kenyan nationality, he has lived in the UK since the age of three. Meanwhile, Bindloss, who has Jamaican nationality, has lived in the UK since the age of 21, but has a wife and child in the UK. As part of the deportation order, the Home Secretary issued certificates under Section 94B of the Nationality, Immigration and Asylum Act 2002. These certificates are the legislative arm of the Conservative Party policy to deport first, appeal later, and, as the name suggests, allows for a person to be removed from the UK pending the outcome of their appeal, so long as this is considered to be lawful under Section 6 of the Human Rights Act, i.e. that public authorities must act in a way that is compatible with the Convention, and also there is no risk to the person in their home country. The certificates issued for Kayari and Bindloss did indicate that their human rights claims were not without foundations, and were arguable, but that is not really what this case is about. Instead, the question here is whether the Home Secretary can deport someone before they are allowed to make their appeal, especially when there is no provision made in the country they are deported to, so that the person can actually even participate in the appeal themselves. The Court of Appeal answered this question by siding with the Home Secretary and held that the policy did not breach human rights. When Kayari and Bindloss appealed to the Supreme Court, their case was allowed in a unanimous judgement, but you may find their reasoning a little bit surprising in the grand scheme of things. Ultimately, the core belief associated with this legislation is that deporting foreign criminals is a good thing, as it helps to protect the public. This is why certification was made law under Section 94B of the Nationality, Immigration and Asylum Act 2002. However, under Section 82 of the same Act, it was also very clearly established that there should be a right to appeal. When it comes to establishing a balance between deportation and the right to appeal, the focus is on the public interest and, for the Supreme Court, there is a greater public interest in ensuring an effective right of appeal over the removal of foreign criminals. With this in mind, the lead judgment turned towards the effectiveness of any potential appeal from a foreign country, and in particular how effectively such an appeal could be presented to a court back in the UK. If we think about it in these terms then, the problems soon start to become obvious. It is true that we now live in a digital age, but this is not ubiquitous, and even where there is a secure internet connection, it is still difficult on a practical level for those making an appeal to communicate with their legal representation both before and during the court case. Furthermore, such appeals are often based on whether a person is reformed and on their relationships with people still in the UK. Both of these arguments become much more difficult to substantiate before a tribunal, 
when they are presented from abroad. Even on a financial level, it is simply not fair to require individuals to have or purchase a laptop, webcam, internet connection, etc., in order to even make a proper appeal and try to give evidence back in the UK. Taking all of this into account, the current procedure for deport first, appeal later cannot be said to be compliant with the European Convention on Human Rights. The Ministry of Justice has taken no measures to facilitate participation in appeals from outside of the UK, and so not only is this a breach under Article 8, but also represents an inability for individuals to challenge breaches of those self-same rights. Finally, in a concurring judgment, Lord Carnworth also pointed out that it is not right that the Home Secretary can effectively dictate the way that an appellant's case is brought forward. Before I finish this episode, you may remember that earlier on I mentioned that I found the reasoning for this decision a little obscure, and I'd like to take a moment to explain why I think this is the case. In this judgment, the government's policy of deport now appeal later was not actually made illegal. It is perfectly possible that the Ministry of Justice could find a way to ensure that an appeal that does take place abroad has all of the required technological and logistical preparations in place, and then it would not be a breach of human rights. However, the reality is that carrying this out would be so impractical that the Supreme Court has effectively nipped the policy in the bud. So why did they not just come out and say so? There are, in my opinion, a couple of key answers to this question that complement each other. The first is that the court is under particular scrutiny at the moment given some recent high-profile decisions and Brexit looming large on the horizon. With this in mind, the court does not want to be seen to be playing politics with some of the government's more sensitive areas of policy, such as immigration. Immigration and mistakenly human rights are also associated in the public's eye with Brexit, and if the courts are perceived to be interfering with Brexit plans or undermining the referendum result from last year, then they are more likely to be slated for it. The second reason is that by giving a broad judgement that is based on practicalities rather than one individual policy, the court can set their stall out and ensure that the government do not just go ahead and simply replace the deport first appeal later with another similar piece of legislation in order to circumvent this judgement. Very finally, um, when I was researching this case, I also came across a really good article that explores some of the themes from a broader political sense. It is a little old now and was in fact partially written around the Kayari Bindloss case when it was decided upon in the Court of Appeal. Nevertheless, it is still worth a read and is available on the Guardian site with the headline The Lawyer Who Takes the Cases No One Wants and it's by Ada Edemarium. Not only does it give a sense of the tireless and difficult work that immigration lawyers commit to on a daily basis, but it also puts it in the context of the changes to immigration policy in recent years. In particular, if you're interested in reading more about the ways in which the Home Office dictates the terms of appeal that I referred to earlier, then this article goes into much more detail and does well to demonstrate how this approach pervades the entire immigration process from start to finish. Well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of UK Law Weekly Podcast. Um, thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the music. Um, also, in reference to that article that I just mentioned from The Guardian, um, there's a link to that in the show notes, so you can get that there. 
or a simple Google search should also get you there as well. Remember to check out the website uklawweekly.com where there's news articles as well as videos and other podcasts that you might be interested in listening to. Um, And thank you very much for listening. I will speak to you again next week. But for now, bye!